0: Could you imagine, like, trying to tell, like, Rich Goulet how to, like, use this, like, platform? You know what I mean? Like, it's so, you're way ahead of the curve here. Don't worry about it. (music) Some people like know about, don't know about the big man, uh, provincial champion, uh, you know, like an established pro career, uh, four years at Portland State as well, and lots of success within basketball. The guy that we've been going back and forth with. Um, we got him on the sub list the STM, and then he bolted on us after saying he was going to retire from basketball, and then he went and played because he probably realized that. Um, that was going to pay him more than substituting a bunch of teenagers at school, but can't believe we're on episode 40, uh, but we are super thrilled to have our second Scott Morrison, but the big man from B.C., Scott Morrison. How are you, sir?
1: Doing well, thank you. Absolute pleasure, and I uh, appreciate you saying some people might know the name. I don't think they do. <laughs>
0: Well, I can tell you this. Uh, last year was the 75th anniversary of BC High School and uh, Boys Basketball, and Corbs bought the big, like, book, so we always flip through it and check it out. So obviously anyone who's flipped through that, um, you're a former MVP, so your name's on the trophy. There's some people out there who know you. Was that
1: man. was that the one where all the champions were invited to dinner?
0: Yeah, did you not get
1: invited? Our whole team from Argyle did not get an invite and we had a su- we had a suite at the game for the for the semifinals and finals game and we watched them with our coach with our uh, teacher assistant and about eight of the players that all won the championship and uh, i remember chris portis running up and texting me he's like hey man why aren't you at the dinner and i was like well i'll walk in and say hello but the rest of the team here is going what's going on
0: <laughs> is
1: that you sound salty man yeah, well, it's the same as I started the podcast. It's no one knows the name. It's okay. What's <laughs> was, was, was you know, Birdman saying? Put some respect on my name. If it was an issue, was an issue you'll,
0: you'll feel me. I just come to let y'all know. Stop. Put some respect on my name. You understand me? When y'all saying my name, put some respect on
1: it. Did you, did you pull up on Ross that way or Trick Daddy? Man, I'm pulling up on you.
0: <laughs> I'll just say this. It wasn't necessarily where like people were sent emails and invited do you know what i mean like it was kind of like if you knew about it you did but it wasn't i don't feel like anyone left the argyle pipers off the list intentionally or you now you should have received something because you were an mvp so the mvps were invited um, because you're just extra special so if you feel sensitive about that i can understand why
1: no, I'm not at all. We I uh, was with my team, which is the greatest thing. And I went and crashed and stole a beer, anyways, off someone ta- someone's table. <laughs> what
0: would you think of the LEC?
1: It, it was, uh, I think, the second time I've been there. Uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. It was uh, who was the finals last year? It was was it the twins that that won the championship last year?
0: G W Graham beat Duchess, and South beat. Kelowna yeah right the the GW Graham had the big twins yeah but yeah they do a really good job with the LEC and um, it's been cool having all four tiers there and like it's a chaotic week and um, it's funny we were talking about it because usually I don't know if you remember this um, but the BCs usually tend to run to the last week of school and that Friday is everybody's last day of school and then then spring break starts right but uh, for some reason last year the timing It was a week before, and we were talking, I was talking with Jake, the G.W. cram coach, the other day, and it was like, if we did it the older way, like if the timing was different, we probably wouldn't have had the finals because the Friday was when everything shut down. So it was almost like it was weird that it just worked out that way. They were telling us to, like, not shake hands with the referees and the other teams and the starting fives to, like, fist pump or fist pound. And it was like, oh, what's this coronavirus thing? And then all of a sudden, a week later, it was gonzo. So...
1: Yeah, I do remember the the timing of it because I remember the last week of school, Argo, our school was in it and we were a principal had approved for school buses to ship out students to the old agrodome to go watch games and they could skip classes approved by the school to fill the arena.
0: Yeah, as it should be, man. That's like that is the way it should be. And it should be like, sorry, we don't have any more room on the you know the three buses that we booked right so i know there's some schools that still are are really good that way but it's definitely a bit of a fortunately a dying breed but that's kind of what it's all about i think
1: oh totally I, re- I remember watching it when i was in high school and then playing it was just a, a true dream come true yeah it seems like a lifetime ago though <laughs> yeah
0: it, it does it happens quick i mean you know, you're not as old and anywhere near as old as I am, but it does feel that way. And I think that's a good way to check in. So how are things? How's life? You know, what are you doing for work? How have you uh, managed through COVID and, and how has it affected you kind of personally or from a family standpoint? And and uh, what are things looking like for you in uh, 2021 as we sit here and chat on a pretty wild day? This will this will come out a couple weeks after, but just, you know, watching... You know, the Capitol get barged on today and just the chaos of all that. So, so many things happening in the world the last 371 days.
1: (laughs) Absolute mayhem again today. uh, We'll see if I'm right when this comes out. I'm calling that it's still going to be mayhem and protests. And uh, hopefully some of these protesters get arrested and their faces are showing for, you know, who they are. Uh, I'm calling it because I think inauguration day is the 19th or 20th, maybe around when this comes out. I I still think we might be in shambles. So I hope that's not the case, but that's what I'm saying now uh, live, I guess. Um, But how how has it all been for me? It's been kind of wild. Uh, You mentioned possible substituting teaching and then kind of semi-retired after 11 years and told my agent, don't give me any more contracts. Don't tell me anything. I'm need to start my life here and get a jump start. year ahead in the career path here would be more beneficial than playing another year. And then went and played in the second division, Japan for the first time. And it was a replacement for two months for a guy with a torn pec. came home for three weeks. And that's when we were chatting about substitute teaching, which is what one of my degrees in is from Portland state and then all of a sudden, the top three team from Japan in the top league called me. Another player got injured and, hey, do you want to come be a third-man rotation for a top league team? And we'll pay X amount in two months. And I said, well, where is it? And they said, Okinawa. I said, wait, you want to pay me to go live in the Hawaii of Japan for three months and be a bench player and a cheerleader for my last hurrah? Sign me up. I'll pay you. <laughs> how was it it was amazing when i say it is the hawaii of japan it truly truly is it's i mean it's so far south and it's uh i think there's seven different ba- uh u.s bases between naval and army and everything in between and it's you know very western very very modern and gorgeous and tropical and beautiful and uh just was the best send-off i could have had because i got my uh the, the tour paul pierce never got you know where uh who was a Draymond Green, says, they don't love you like that. I I got that in Japan for my final goodbye, and it was great. (laughs) Love the early reference. Well played. (laughs) I'll talk to anybody.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then so now what? Like just settling in back
1: in Vancouver? and Settled in, didn't go the teaching route, didn't want to use the degrees, didn't want to use any of the education, and uh, I'd reached out – As I was trying to toy with substitute teaching to friends and did a few interviews and gotten the LinkedIn profile ready and, uh, you know, got the headshot and resume all together, which is just basketball career. And uh, when I finished, a name you might know is Kyle Watson had been working with Labatt for 10 years after his UBC days. Of course. And they had an opening. And uh, yeah, did a few interviews. He was on the other side, so I wasn't uh, interviewing with him. But uh, shout out to Labatt and Neutrals. And I uh, slang Neutrals at uh, liquor stores for a year. Nice. And, and then uh, my stepdad called me there afterwards and after about a year and said, hey, do you want to come work and sell batteries for the family business? And I said, well, I don't know anything about batteries, but uh, I'm in, sign me up. So I've been doing that for the last six months. So I actually quit my job at Labatt after one year of a real life job to move uh, on to sell car batteries for a company.
0: And how's that been? I mean, you've got a, you know, you got an outgoing personality and actually, I mean, for a big, for a big dude, you know, you're shy, you're not a shy guy. You, you know, I feel like in a sales position and probably, you know, you're, probably make people feel pretty comfortable and it was it a natural fit right away or was it i mean other than the learning curve of figuring out the ins and outs of a battery i'm sure the other side of it was pretty natural to you does that seem right or
1: the sales side yeah you're you're hitting the nail on the head with that the sales side was great especially working with labat it's a product i know very well you want to sell beer i know beer want to share a beer i can sell you that beer <laughs> And then uh, the battery side, it's just taking the, you know, the personal skills you learn from there to carry them over. And then you just have to actually learn the ins and outs of what makes a battery.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, you probably didn't even have to work that hard with the the beer and the neutrals. I mean, between uh, Plum and Alex Zabori, you know, those are probably enough to fill your quota every year, right?
1: Yeah, we had the night, nightlife industry with Sabori, had the downtown locked in, and then just uh, had Doug Plum buy them all, and uh, he drank them all. <laughs> awesome, man.
0: Well, let's get into your story a little bit here. Um, we've touched on it a little bit, but uh, as, a, as a young dude, tell us about where you grew up, what what life was like, um, when did the huge growth spurt happen, and and kind of what was the... What were the sports that were involved? I know that there's a, a, a coach that kind of really impacted you as you moved forward in your basketball career, but uh, as a younger guy, what was life like for you? I uh,
1: grew up in North Van from the time I was about eight until I uh, graduated high school. I was originally in the Handsworth catchment uh, with names of Cam Moe, was my age, And Rob Sackery was obviously a few years younger. And Kepke was a year younger. So that would have been the absolute powerhouse, most dominant team the world had ever seen if I had stayed in that catchment. But then I ended up moving a few blocks away in elementary school into the Argyle catchment. Uh, Much better soccer player as a keeper until I was about 14 on Metro League teams and gold teams level as a goalie keeper. And always loved basketball. Always. Great Seven, about 12 years old, I loved basketball. I think I was about 5'10 in grade seven. There was no awkward growth spurt. There was no weird, uh, you know, gangly, awkward, can't catch a ball, can't kick a soccer ball phase. It was just always fairly constant and steady, which is also why I think I was fairly healthy and, and was able to never learn to dribble a ball while I was so coordinated. But uh, was able to make a career out of it there afterwards. <laughs> you see all these young players now and they're seven two and there there's a the French guy and he's seven four and he's playing Rudy Gobert on the junior national team and he's dribbling pull up threes and then you know the defensive players' face and I'm looking back and i and oh, I thought I was coordinated, but uh, I guess not.
0: <laughs> so are you tell me that like you said that there could have been a chance that it would have been K U and Big <laughs> Robbie at the, on the same team?
1: It was, and we've talked about it uh, a little bit, and definitely with the other guys that were my grade uh, growing up because I went to elementary school with them from Hansworth and then went into the Argyle catchmen. Then I had Sean Burke, St. Clair Brown, Ben Frisby, Kevin Schaub, a whole bunch of absolute stud CIS players um, on my team at Argyle, which at the time we had to change the rules the following year because everyone but myself was younger than me, uh, because there was only one team allowed out to make provincials from the North Shore catchment with five teams. There was no backdoor entry. There was no uh, playing games with the Fraser Valley. So it was either winning the North Shore and making the provincial finals as the number one or two team, which Argyle and Hansworth were, or the number two teams not making provincials.
0: Yeah. I think Robbie's grade 12 year, I think they didn't make it. Like I think they got upset. Like, they... Correct me if I'm wrong, it was a best of three to, to finalize the shore. And I think, you know, they won it in grade 11 and then they didn't even make it in grade 12. I could be wrong there, but it definitely was some crazy rivalries. And that was, that was a, when North Shore basketball was at its peak, and that's what makes it tough with the format for the high schools is, and it's still a controversial topic is, um, you know, kind of births and who gets them and how many should be, you know, allocated to who. And I'm kind of impartial to, I understand the whole idea of, you know, strength and numbers, but I'm also like, Hey, if there's a good program or team and they'll, you know, and there's three in an area and there's only one berth, we want the best tournament, right? We don't want.
1: Give them a backdoor tournament, give them a backdoor playing game, give them something if there's two or three. And I think they do have playing games. Correct me now if I'm wrong as well in the provincials as well. So depends on do, depends on the, the tier, like the backdoor route or whatever. But
0: once you're, it's either you're in the BCs or not. So there's no, yeah, there's no backdoor in the BCs. But to get there, um, there are sometimes, yeah,
1: yeah. It was it was devastating for Hansworth because we played them the best of three. It was sacre's grade nine year, So he was very young, kept K's grade 11 year. And then all my grade 11s that were studs were grade 11s and we made it hands were did best at three. We, you know, we sold out, sold out Argyle. We were, you know, 2,500 people, as I'm told, standing room only there was delays in games and fans still came and, uh, the only people that do remember my name is anyone that watched that game, which is few and far between now. I don't run into many people, but uh, the next year I think both teams made it, and I know Argyle was upset. Again, I think they were a number one or two. They lost uh, Herman Gabriel and the New West team the following year around one or two, I believe. And then I think uh, my, my – what have you been my sophomore year roommate Tyrell Morrow won it that year in 05. Ah.
0: Tyrell was your roomie. Okay. I love it. That's why I love this podcast, man. I selfishly get to learn a whole bunch of things that I didn't know too, because that's what's super dope. But um,
1: yeah, I had Tyrell Mara for would have been three of the years together. And then he transferred back up to Trinity. Kyle Costin is another transplant name, which was one of my freshmen when I was a senior who eventually transferred up to Trinity and played with him again. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I played with both of those guys at Portland state as well.
0: Cool. And we'll get into that. Let's just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the the culture at Argyle at that time. You know, Glen Chu. I know he was a big mentor for a lot of you guys and you know he busted his he busted his ass on the shore for a lot of years um and you know was able to build you know a, a bit of a mini dynasty right there for for a, for a bunch of years so you already mentioned a bunch of the names that you got to play with those guys you know many of them played at sfu and you know obviously Berkey had a great career and kevin shaw ended up being like an amazing standstill shooter but you know i mean that's when you nip and mention those names alongside yourself, like that's a stacked high school team. And, and so there must have been a pretty good culture in the gym every day at Argyle during those those years for you.
1: Stacked team as far as names, but literally stacked as far as height. We were 6'4", six, 6'4", six, four, six, four. Uh, Sinclair Brown was 6'7", Ben Frisbee 6'9", I was 6'11". It was taller than my D1... Uh, team starting lineup the next year. And I started on that team as well. And we were taller in high school, not better, but taller. And I just remember thinking, holy cow, like, well, I'll never have that same team again. But yeah, Glenn Chu was a name that for me made my basketball career. I mean, not only at Argyle and the culture, he was the first one to kind of go against BC basketball and start kind of club teams with 3D. I mean, none of these touring AU teams existed at the time outside of BC basketball in 2004, 2003. Glenn Chu was taking uh, guys like Diego, who went and played D1, Keb K, uh, Matt Ratchard, who had a pro career as well, and anyone then younger than kind of that age, age group as well and really mentored and taught them. And I was fortunate enough my grade 12 year to have him as a coach. And like you said, we had the stacked team in our catchment, so that was nice as well. But the the culture he brought in was I referenced my D one team because we were doing videos, we were doing scouting, we had paper paper reports of players' tendencies. Uh, it wasn't a wasn't by accident we were good. It was a true culture that he brought that I'd never heard of, but it, I mean, it prepared me more than I could ever thank him. And I do, we still go for beers and trips and stuff. So yeah, it was unbelievable what he was able to do for me and then for everyone else as well, not just Argyle, but, uh, the names that he brought and truly started in my opinion, uh, the club team scene in BC.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Um, I would, that was like when I was just kind of, when I was first starting at STM would have been around those times, you know, your, your grade 12 year. And and so I remember him being a, you know, a huge, you know, kind of coach on the, on the shore. And interesting that you bring that up and, you know, see what the the club scene and system has developed and turned into. Um, And how much do you feel like, because I feel in BC where, you know, we we have lots of great players coming out and we've had lots of guys that have moved on and it's, you know, and I still think we can be better in terms of um, our overall talent. But when you're a big man and you're in BC and, uh, you know, I think the tendency might be for you to just show up and be able to just dominate practice every day because of your height. Right. But then you mentioned that you're going against Sinclair and Frisbee and those guys. And how, how important was that for you and your development do you think um, and not just being able to roll in and kind of just dominate every day until you went up against, you know, another big man outside in the province or something like that.
1: Oh, 100%. And Glenn got us prepared. No, you know, we were rolling up big men in BC one year, one player every year. And it kind of worked. I mean, just off the top of my head for kind of three years in a row, it was long Kendall and Sean Dennison, which never gets enough respect. Uh, yeah. And then my, and then myself as well as, as, centers back to back. Well you can't teach height and you you know potential and so those guys will get recruited. But what Glenn did was he got guys that shouldn't have looks at the time or should have had way more looks is what I should say and weren't getting them because there wasn't AU, there wasn't the American game, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't you know mixtapes other than the N1 mixtape to get you promoted for scouts to see. You. And Glenn was able to build that culture off the court with all the guys and workouts where they were, he was doing Chris Brinkley workouts before Chris Brinkley even knew what a basketball was. And he was doing it with guys. I'll, you know, use Diego and Kepke small guards, you know? Yeah, sure. I should get recruited. Sure. Dennis should sure get recruited. Sure. LeVon should get recruited. Can't teach height. It makes sense. Those guys, it's well, a six foot guard or, you know, a six, two shooting guard. These guys had to grind and Glenn, you know, I think, and I don't know if they'll tell you different or not. Uh, was a huge part of that and the culture he he brought. Mm-hmm.
0: That's cool. Yeah, thanks for that. I just, I think yeah. Like I, when when I was in grade eleven, we had a six ten guy, Dave Morgan. He went on, and played at Reno, Nevada, and was like a solid big man. But I just remember trying my best every day to, like at six four ish to not like have him just absolutely like kick me every day, right? Like, and so when you have those guys but also practice was super competitive and it was intense. And when you have guys like that list that you've named, I mean, you became provincial champs, but guys that clearly had goals much like you to move on and go post-secondary, and there's more than five, like that means practice is going to be pretty damn competitive most days. So that's, that's awesome.
1: Practice was competitive. We had big bodies. My grade 11 year, there was a seven foot guy at Argyle. His name was Matt Holtz, absolute trash, just a hack machine. I think he played one month at UNBC or something like that back in the day. And but just a big body. So then I got to bang a little in the next year, my grade 12 year, obviously I'm going against a young Rob Zachary, but he's seven foot at the time. And and that's on the North shore every day. Uh, And as well as Ben Frisbee's name, I bring up an old school name is Mike Frisbee played on the Canadian national team and a long pro career as well. We brought him as an assistant as well. Glenn brought this culture of, wow, I can't teach Scott and I I can't teach seven foot. You know who can and who, who Scott will respect is Mike Frisbee. And that was amazing.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool to touch on the importance of just those young those mentors when you're young and those people that can show you the game, right? And good plug for Sean Dennison, too, we've got a connection, and uh, he's definitely on the list of someone to uh, to try and get on the pod. So
1: now that's someone who needs some respect on his name, like truly, truly amazing pro career, but just never came back to you know lower mainland, never came back to the BC basketball community uh, since high school. It was never in it. It was in Nelson and. Played a little BC basketball and was WCC Co-Player of the Year with, uh, what's his name, Rabio? Rav, from uh, the little, little white guard from uh, Gonzaga. I think they were Co-Conference Players of the Year. Yeah, and... uh,
0: yeah. I know what you're talking about. Corbs will fact check.
1: Yeah, fact check. <laughs> <laughs> At what point
0: did you just, like, basketball was your sport did you know from a young age like grade nine when you were like okay i, I want to move on with this or i
1: remember saying in grade seven i wanted to move on yeah go for it I, sorry i was uh interrupting there it's uh those, those old covid we're uh, we're doing it via via online right now so a uh, little leg but uh yeah it was grade seven even though it was a better soccer player like i was saying until 14 it was i want to go to the nba if not, I knew European basketball existed when I was 13. So I'm, that was the goal from that time. Although I didn't get recruited or an offer till March of my grade 12 year. I didn't play, yeah, I didn't play BC basketball, uh, U17. I actually enriched. Goulet was the coach. I mean, the other guys my age were Bryson Cool, Matt Ratchard, and Sean Anthony's another one who's still playing pro, still playing pro, uh, and has had a remarkable career. I think he went to I want to say Queens, but um, Mc- McGill. Yeah. He went to McGill, and then he's been in the Philippines ever since. Still playing pro. Follow him on IG. I'll send him a link for you, and maybe you guys he can add him on to the podcast list as well. Mm-hmm. But I ended up quitting the BC team, and uh, I just didn't, never loved school. I never failed a class. never failed a class in university. Got a couple of bachelor of sciences in four years. But uh, quit the BC team uh, before it, right as it started to take, uh, biology 12 in the summertime ahead of my grade 12 year. So I could have an easier course load, uh, in grade 12. This was my logic. It doesn't sound sound now as I say it. And, and so I could have an easier course load, enjoy my grade 12 year, play more basketball. Uh, and then only got two scholarship offers at the very end of the year. And it was uh, Portland state and Idaho state in the same conference after, uh, the BC finals
0: crazy it's funny I like I think uh don't sounding too old once again like just there's this expectation I think for young athletes they think that you know all these amazing offers are going to come on their front door that you're going to get a full ride to play at Langara or UBC you know and it's like what's a full ride and you know sometimes if you want to play D1 even if you're seven feet it's going to take time and it's going to take going to take a p- bit of a process you know so um that's crazy and then how did you did you get to go on a visit to both places
1: i didn't even go on a visit to idaho state uh but you mentioned ubc as well so i've argued with hansen because a year later uh, i was 18 playing on the canadian what is it development team or fichu game team and hansen was our coach in turkey and i said why, why didn't you recruit me? He's like, well, I called you four times, but I knew you were going D one. So uh, we tried to for our for our other one. We went with Bryson Cool, and I said, I'm better than Bryson Cool, and, Kuhl. and uh, <laughs> he, he just goes, yeah, Bryson Cool had an okay career with us at UBC. So. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was one of those, everyone thought I was getting a ton of offers and going big time and, you know, doing what Dennison or LeVon had done. And because I didn't play the, you know, in the Vegas big time tournament, like they did, I didn't get the exposure. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, on me for picking school and classes sort of, and, uh, then getting recruited. Mm-hmm. But I didn't end up uh, going on a visit to Idaho State. And the only reason I didn't was because it was after the signing deadline. There's a... a or was. I'm not sure if there still is uh, a signing deadline. and You guys might have to fact check this as well. Uh, so I went on an official visit to Portland State, enjoyed it, liked it. And I said, I huh, do I want to go to Idaho? Well, it's after a signing deadline, which really is just an arbitrary date, um, which I didn't really know at the time because there wasn't any... I mean Google existed obviously I think it was Yahoo at the time but uh, I couldn't uh, couldn't really check too much but uh, enjoyed Portland State liked the coaches liked the team and signed the the moment I got home the next day and I believe I made the right decision because Idaho State ended up stinking for the four years I was there and I ended up being a four-year starter at Portland State mm-hmm. so I was happy
0: yeah let's talk about that like by the time you get to Portland State or get ready so you know Obviously, you know, you you wanted to win the provincial title. That happens. You end up being the MVP as well, which is which is dope, but did that help your confidence that much more or did you feel like okay, I can step onto this campus and I think I'm all right or was it more of like a let's let's see how this goes. Let's feel it out a little bit. I got no idea what I'm stepping into.
1: Oh, do I not sound confident? Oh, no, sorry, this isn't salty. that I was a super cocky kid. I thought I was the best player in grade twelve. i I will argue this today to to Bryson Cool's face, to Matt Ratchard's face, to to Sean Anthony's face. Uh, I knew I was the best player. so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a lack of confidence. It was definitely coming in uh, like a big dog on campus, and then I had a rude awakening going, oh, so, being 220 pounds and seven foot, and there are 23, 24 year old men that are seven foot and 280. A little different world. So, I ended up putting on about 20, 30 pounds. They said, here's the football coach, here's his weight program. Go figure this out, lock you in there for three weeks. Um, but uh, the, yeah, the only games I didn't start as a freshman was uh, opening game of the year against uh, Ronnie Thierry off Adam Morrison at Gonzaga. I didn't start that one. Earned my minutes, though, as Ronnie Tyrioff dropped about 34, half on me, most on me. And uh, then senior night that year were the only two games I didn't start as a freshman. So I definitely earned my position. We went 19-9 and nine and won our, uh, won our conference, yeah. but then lost in our conference uh, tournament. And at the time which they changed, I believe, the following year or the year after, that if you win your conference, you automatically get still get a berth into the tournament, where Big Sky at the time, you did not. You still had to play in, and it was winner of the tournament, got in. So we were a bubble team, and then also didn't even get somehow in the bubble uh, to the, what is it, Nate tournament? NA. Yeah. What was it? Yeah. God, this seems like a lifetime ago. I can barely remember. Remember NIT can't even remember an acronym, the NIT tournament. <laughs> we didn't get into that either. And uh, I remember having, I think, seven or eight seniors that year. Uh, and, and yeah, they were devastated. And I was like, oh, I got three more years and didn't really realize what it meant. Cause then, then my coaches all left. Everyone that recruited me, the guy that recruited me, Diedrich Taylor went on to UNLV and then Arizona uh Keith Troyer went on to Utah and then Fresno State. I think he coached uh, uh who's at Fresno State? Paul George? <sighs> the coach Paul George at Fresno and my assistants went to Juco's and uh, we then had Dub's assistant Ken Bone come in and coach us who then went on to coach Clay Thompson a couple years after I left at Washington yeah. and we were then a sophomore junior year Portland State team that was just in shambles and we couldn't win games in conference and uh, I had had a great freshman year and went on to play with that summer with Kevin at the Fichu Games and thought about transferring. I had gone on a visit to a few schools. I think I'd averaged six and six or something as a freshman in D1, starting all the games, though. So I was getting a few offers and I'd uh, actually verbally committed, and I want to say put pen to paper at a JUCO, the number one JUCO in, uh, in the States at, uh, what is that, Northern Idaho? Idaho college or something like that. So they recruited me and I had one year there and uh, put pen to paper and actually Arizona state then sent me uh, a letter of intent or signing for the following year right away. So I had that in hand as well. Uh, and then went to the Fichu games, came back, Portland state was quartered system. So we were starting October 1st that year. And I think I was done Fichu second week of September or something from Turkey. And and then said no to Idaho State, didn't move my stuff, and stayed at Portland State, and Ken Bone kind of re-recruited me and came back and played two years at Portland State. And then my senior year at Portland State, we won our conference again, won the tournament, and then finally made it to March Madness as the Portland State's first-ever tournament berth, got a wonderful 16 seed, and... (laughs) against the national champs so we were number two that year it was great only lost by i think 21 to kansas and uh who was on that team uh darnell arthur darrell arthur darnell jackson both the morris twins uh brandon rush Mario chalmers uh another guard cole allridge sasha khan i think there was 11 out of the 13 players went on to play at the nba at some time yeah so we were already planning our we were already planning our party. We had our family fly down. It was the first time Portland State had flown private. We'd flown southwest all for four years, waited in group D to board, and then we get this private jet for, for once and party our faces off on the on the jet. We got our cheerleaders and our boosters and we're like, Oh, so this is what uh, UCLA is doing and uh, Michigan. And yeah, we had a every week every week and so we had our party in where would we play nebraska planned out before we'd even played kansas had <laughs> uh, a spring break trip booked i think six days later and if we had won the game we were going to push the trip uh, uh we lost and i was in i was in mexico four days later partying for spring break <laughs> no,
0: that, that's crazy though i mean it's hard right you get down there as a freshman to think like okay well Seniors are gone and now it's my time. And then all of a sudden that coaching staff, which, you know, I think at at the D1 level, right, when some coaches get opportunities that that they need, they got to move on. And but to have the whole staff kind of go, it's like, oh, okay, here we go. But sticking it out, obviously, was the right choice. Did a lot of the other guys. I mean, you graduated a lot of guys, but were the guys that were there with you as a freshman um, sticking around? Or was it a whole bunch of other freshmen that came in during your sophomore year that kind of helped build and grow from there?
1: Everything in between. We had Coach come in and clear some of the house. He didn't like some of the sophomores, juniors, and kind of, you can't cut them, but kind of gave him the ultimatum of, I'm going to help you get somewhere else. If you stay with us, that's great. You're going to be a, a practice player for the next two or three years. So if you want to leave, leave now, was kind of the pitch he gave to players. Uh, he re recruited me uh, as a freshman and then brought in a whole bunch of two co transfers and and then tried to make us, you know, a decent team in the big sky, which I think we were ranked 30th out of 32 for D1 conferences and uh, just couldn't win many games. I think we went 14 and 16 or something my sophomore year and something similar my junior and then by my senior year, he built a culture there where we had some young freshmen. We built some talent, got one or two, you know, dropout big time recruits from UW and a couple other schools. And then that's where we were able to win it my senior year. And then they actually won Big Sky again my my junior year. But uh, I was very happy I stayed and that he re-recruited me. And. You know, being able to play four years at one school and saying I was a four-year starter D1 is, you know, something that I still brag about to people that don't want to hear it.
0: (laughs) No, it's dope, man. And, you know, you're a defensive player of the year as well. And so obviously a huge, you know, component of that team. And um, talk about this. I mean, obviously, you know, you're you're saying in a sarcastic, jokingly way that you you had to play Kansas first round, but, like, you actually qualify for March Madness. Like, what is a kid from North Van? Like, what is that feeling inside when you realize, like, I've watched – how many times have I watched One Shining Moment my entire life? And now, like – we at least get the opportunity to be on the same stage like that must be a pretty cool moment
1: oh to put it in a canuck term eh? for all the canucks that are listening uh made the show yeah eh? <laughs> no it's great it was it was truly like a dream come true i'm going okay we can make kansas it's my senior year i'm defensive player of the year uh for all the first conference and uh seven foot and you know i now have an agent or two talking to me i'm going this is my shot if i have a decent game you know i can i can make the nba this is my time mm. Didn't happen. Didn't get a try. I didn't. Uh, I, I got a tryout or two with Portland and then Toronto. And uh, actually broke my wrists about a month after uh, March, uh, March Madness playing a pickup game at LA Fitness. Mm. Which I, people are like, oh, why were you playing at LA Fitness? That's you're an idiot. Well, nine out of the 10 players were D1 players. It wasn't like just some scrub pickup game. This was yeah. most of my teammates were on my team, and we were playing other guys from uh, Washington State, other Dukos, uh, you know, University of Portland was always it was there, and it was just one of those. My legs got taken out, and I put my hands out, and broke both scaphoids in my wrist and a bunch of tendons. So then I was in uh, when I should be trying out and on trying out for national teams and with Toronto and Portland and just kind of courtesy offers. Uh, for the NBA uh, tryouts was two broken wrists, 12 weeks, hard cast. Uh, and then had my agent at the time. I actually stayed with all 12 years. Uh, just like, Hey, just keep it quiet. Don't do anything. Don't post anything. We'll get you some contracts and looks in Europe, maybe some camp invites and, and stuff. Just keep it quiet. But I remember getting my cast off. And then about a week later, I'd signed, already signed a contract to Hungary, and my wrist couldn't move absolutely just weak and looking I don't even know how to explain it just tiny and feeble is the word I'm looking for yeah oh, so I show up to Hungary and get off the plane and have my wrist tape and I can barely move can't well I can't shoot anyway so it's, it's not like I had to flick a wrist but I uh, could barely dunk which was the only thing I was good at
0: <laughs> wow that's crazy Um, Before we get into the pro, just quickly, if you don't mind, because Kev talked about it when we had him on and he was like, when we brought up the FISU games, like he started to just like blossom, like his eyes lit up. Now, did you have a great experience with that too? Was that super fun for you? Um, Because he, he was like, man, that was one of the best his, you know, in terms of basketball experience of his life.
1: Yeah, sorry if I'm jumping around, jumping ahead. I'm nervous. You guys are my first podcast. You guys are now big time in VC and I love it. So I'm just <laughs> thankful I'm on this. So I'm uh, I'm just a little nervous.
0: That's my job, man. It's my job is to kind of control and help you, you know, filter your thoughts in a in a the right direction, you know? I
1: appreciate that. Uh, yeah, and just fact check me and stuff as well, but uh, see see how much is bullshit. And just edit all cuss words as well. That's great. Um, but <laughs> To answer your question, it was oh, – I'll go back to that uh, – I think I was 18 on that future game with Kevin. It was, again, there was 11 of the th- 13 players or whatever it is were D1 players. I think Pasha Baines might have been the only player who was currently a CIS player, but it just mm-hmm. left – where was he, Virginia? No, Clemson. Clemson? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we had a whole bunch of other – uh, big studs. Well, the other one was Rands. He's in another another Can- another Canadian that's now in Vancouver. Uh, who you guys had on the pod, and we were over in Turkey, and it was amazing. We flew to we flew to Turkey, and that city was shut down. It was there had been a bombing just before we had gotten there, and at airports, the U.S. consulate wasn't. A, all the teams weren't allowed to stay in the village, but the rest of us were. There were sniper towers, uh, bus bus escorts, and, but in the village, it felt like, I've never been in the Olympics, what the Olympics were. It's 30,000 athletes in the summertime, all 18 to 23 good-looking people from every sport all around the world. I couldn't rave a better time uh, that we had there, you know, we were staying in a tower with the Canadian consulate team. So there's men's basketball, women's basketball, women's volleyball, women's gymnastics, this, that, and everyone's just walking around trying to trade gear. We're one of the team sports that lasts two or three weeks. You know, if you're a, a javelin player, or a gymnast, you might be there and have your, uh, sport the first day. And then you have two and a half weeks of partying, and so it is just crazy and fun. And, I, uh, uh, you know, I'll drop other names that I met and still have friendships with is Sarah McKay. You know, on the female side of basketball is the first time I ever met her. And I remember us sneaking vodka in our water bottles at 18, 19 in Turkey so we can drink in the village and getting escorts and police escorts to go to nightclubs off it and oh man it was amazing and i was a i was a bench player on that team there were so many good players ahead of me i think we finished eighth that year or so with hansen as the coach uh and then we redeemed or i redeemed ourselves we redeemed ourselves with uh i think myself theo davis ross beckering uh was sacre on that team or did i play with him on a different national team in spain but uh then won a bronze medal at the fichu games in thailand what two years later and again that was another party that was amazing because that city was wide open there was no sniper towers or anything so i remember teammates in australia because we were so close with the where our towers and consulates were in the Thai, Thai village they built for our sports village uh, with the Australia team with Aaron Baines. And I remember I'd met, played against him a couple of years before at Washington State. I think I'd played against him before his pro uh, NBA pro career when he was at Ritas in Lithuania and I was in Estonia and party with another Australian player that I had no idea who he was, but he had played at Uh, what's the Aussie school and the WCC where everyone plays? Not Pepperdine. God damn it, we lost him.
0: Okay. You were, when we stopped hearing you, you said we finished eighth under Coach Hansen, So... Gather your thoughts, and then whenever you're ready, we'll leave some dead air here, and you just jump right back into your story about Fisu Games, and and it's all good. Keep it going. It's awesome so far. Sound good? Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah, I finished eighth under Kevin Hansen, and just kind of mic dropped, and and we lost, and ne- and never let him coach me again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyways thanks for listening to hoops journey this is episode 40
1: uh Uh, (laughs) shout out to our sponsors (laughs) but uh shout out to the sponsors we'll segue that
0: what are you looking for during this pandemic time sometimes after a long week of work we just want to sit down and have a nice cold beer well one of our sponsors parkside brewery can offer you that located at 2731 murray street in port moody Parkside not only has an amazing indoor atmosphere during the winter season, it also has a great patio in the summer. Get down there, enjoy yourself a cold beer, or you can find them at any local government liquor store. Last thing, don't expect to go to Parkside and get any tips on how to become a better basketball player because Sam Payne and Travis McLean our good buddies. Can't help you with that, but they sure can serve you a good beer. See you Parkside. Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner, Shane Meyer, has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in store, if you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide.
1: Yeah, then I shared beers with Kevin Hansen in beer gardens there since. I think you guys got beer sponsors that I got to go check out now. Yes, sir. Parkside. (laughs) That's what you call a segue. (laughs) (laughs) And we won a bronze medal uh, at the Fichu Games two years later in Thailand. Now, I couldn't, for the life of you, tell me who our coach was, though. <laughs> Wasn't Hanson. Sorry, Hanson. Love you, buddy. <laughs> uh, but no, the, and then the Thailand one was amazing. It was. Uh, we weren't on lockdown there. Everything was open. I remember the first night flying into... Maybe Hanson did coach us that year. Gosh, I don't remember. I'm too old to remember. Uh, but I remember flying in yes. and... We flew straight down to downtown uh, Bangkok and partied the first night because we had two days off. Uh, then with all the sports being done at different times, I made friends with Aaron Baines because we'd played against each other at Washington State. He'd just played a year in Lithuania, and I was in, I want to say Hungary my first year, so we had, we had partied together one year removed. Before he played in the NBA, there was a future teammate of mine on the Australia team when I played in Australia six years later and lucas walker he played at the uh, wcc school what's the one patty mills played at i need a fact check here patty mills, patty mills. there's the there's the one it's not pepperdine where willie gallic played there's another. it's not gonzaga there's one catholic school st. well mary's. that's yeah. the one st mary's so i had a future willie
0: gallic shout out too. willie gallic
1: was a freak freak Holy smokes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, these guys are all my age, so these names come naturally to me. These guys that were all yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, Cedar represents Cedar, man. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Cedar's maybe
1: Maybe Hansen was my coach. I'm sorry, Kevin. I think you were our coach. We won a bronze medal together. Love you. Let's share another beer. Parkside beer.
0: Well let's just pause with some nice sort of some music that'll make Kev feel better right here. Damn. Maybe some Johnny Cash will cheer him up or something. Yeah, you Yeah, it's all love, Kev. Don't worry about it. Um, dope man. And then obviously, you know, you're playing D1. You know, not salty. You're definitely confident. So you're, you know, pro pro basketball is in your mind. Um, talk a little bit about the process of that. You touched on it. Somewhat, and then we kind of went back. But um, you know, you you said you had token kind of workouts with some NBA teams, and then ended up uh, going overseas. And then you had the opportunity. You know, it's such a cool thing. I think you know, obviously, yeah, you wanted to make the NBA, and that was what you were aiming for. But like, when I'm reading your bio and looking at the places in the in the world that you've been able to see, like, it's gotta have been a pretty cool ride. So let's just talk about that experience. And you know, I know there's some got to be a few wild stories or fun stories in there as well. Cause you know, 11, you played 11 years pro, correct?
1: Uh, well, yeah. With that half year of half retirement, two teams, 12 seasons, it was uh first year, Hungary, then Estonia, Ukraine, Poland, Germany, Australia, each for a year, made up my first seven. And then I did five and a half slash six in Japan. But I remember getting recruited or recruited my agents offering me contracts my first year in hungary and i was played in Vahervar, where doug plum eventually played and uh who was uh spencer what's what's the old uh, ubc coach speaking of hanson
0: spencer mckay
1: spencer mckay played in hungary as well i think he was mm-hmm. at Albacomp or timis as well so there was a few canadians who already or had played in that league He'd played in that one previously a couple decades before me. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was, it was amazing. Living 45 minutes from Budapest, being able to go to Austria anytime, Vienna and, you know, play against X NBA players, current players. The next year I'd moved up leagues and played in Estonia and we were playing in Euro cup challenges just below the Euro league. That was when the Euro was playing Aaron Baines before he made it to the NBA and, uh, Oh, the was in that league. He was a young Valanchunas. I was going against at 23 and I think he was 19. Uh, yeah. So that was a early awakening early in my career and worked up another level to Ukraine before the war broke out, missed that war by a year. I got offered a contract to go back and then there was civil unrest, but luckily I was in Poland playing that season. And Oh, Poland was amazing. Estonia was probably my favorite country to ever play in. I was 23, playing in a decent league, and finally had saved a dollar or two. They'd give me a Pathfinder, seven-seater with 11 kilometers on it, a three-bedroom apartment overlooking the tiny little university city, a sauna in the bathroom. I was living life. I thought I had made it. You couldn't tell me anything at the time. You're balling. I was balling. Oh, I, I thought I was, you know, Kobe. I thought I was Shaq after a championship. You know, you couldn't tell me anything and I was playing in Estonia and I loved it.
0: I was going to ask about Estonia. What the heck? Like, tell us about that place.
1: Estonia uh, was uh, one of those contracts after Hungary. It was, I played well enough been an all-star in Hungary uh, and got a little more money offered the second year. And which I always think is funny because players never talk about money when you're on the same teams. Like if you're playing with someone and they're an all-star in that city or country, and then you, they play on your team as a teammate. You never know how much your teammate is making. I always Mm ask. I just asked. And I would tell them openly Mm -hmm. too. It's like, why are we trying to hide this? You're making your money from what your agent did and what you did previously the year before. There should be no ill will, but there Mm -hmm. is and Mm -hmm. players don't talk about it. So uh, the second year, my agent had called me offered, it was a 30% increase from my first year, which was 50,000. I'll speak honestly what it was in, on the podcast. And so it's a little bump up in the Estonian league, got to play Euro cup and he goes, yeah, you'll, you you get a good Estonian contract. And I said, oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, so I'll sign it. Let's go after a few questions and talking with the coach. And I said, well, what country is that in? Yeah, it turns out he goes, Scott, 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 that is the country. You're actually going to Tartu. Right. Okay, well, I'm, I'm dumb. I blame my American education for that one.
0: If is, is this a safe space?
1: Safe space, this, safe this space. Po- this is a podcast okay, yeah. so, between um, us three, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. full disclosure, <laughs> full disclosure. I did the same thing I Googled today. I was like, what the heck is this?
1: In <laughs> our had, defense, had no and idea. I will back you up here. At the time, it had yeah. only been a country for nineteen years, so it wasn't. Uh, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, it was nineteen years. It was a very new. It was a baby. It was a sort of country. But uh, no, uh, jokes aside, it had been in, under the USSR and Soviet rule, and it borders, you know, Russia and Latvia and to the north, uh, Scandinavian countries. But uh, a million people, and it was amazing. The best experience. Mm-hmm. Although December, January, and February. I think it warmed up to minus 15 for a day.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I looked where, I looked at its location. I was like, Eesh.
1: "Yeah, It was but not I mean, warm, but it was a great party city. Uh, you had a mix of people that were Scandinavian looking Russian. So people were beautiful. I was 23. I was having fun. Our team was winning. I was uh, center of the year in the league <laughs> that year. We played Euro Cup. So, I was, that was my favorite year by far. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then, yeah. And then um, fortunate to move up leagues again, make a little more money in Ukraine Then go to Poland, kind of a lateral movement. And then the biggest achievement I say is playing in the Bundesliga top division in Germany. Uh, Levon Kendall was there at the time after playing in Spain for years, he was on a Euro league team. And uh, I think there was three Euro league teams in the German league and just absolute studs.
0: Yeah. Talk about that, that 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 high level euro basketball. Like I mean obviously the world knows now but there was a time where a lot of people in North America just didn't really know, you know what I mean? And there's some serious ballers. I mean it's, you know, Luka Doncic and those guys now or whatever. But even back this time, you know, still not a huge amount of players, right? So but I like there's no way you can't tell me that some of those European teams couldn't come over and, and compete, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, Luca the Don Donchich is uh, you know my new favorite player. Once LeBron dies, I'll bandwagon LeBron to wherever he goes, and and then I'll bandwagon Luca wherever he goes after that. <laughs> but it blows my mind that you know Dallas did a great job you know recruiting Europeans with Dirk obviously when he was young and I'll say International with Steve Nash. Uh, oh, I guess that was a trade. Um, but or did he get drafted by Dallas? <laughs>
0: phoenix he did get drafted by phoenix okay yeah
1: but then luca's mvp of the euro league and still doesn't get drafted high enough in my opinion uh but Mm -hmm. he's proven the world you know wrong or right or whichever way you want to look at it now and how amazing he is but yeah at the time nba teams weren't going over to play them like they do now nba teams are doing Wow! Well, without COVID, they're going to play the Australian League where LaMelo was, and I eventually played the year after. Jeremy, they're playing the Euro League teams over there, bringing them home to, or to their home for home games in the U.S. So it's something back in 2008 or nine uh, that I didn't know much about. I didn't know the difference between Euro Challenge and Euro Cup and Euro League as well as your own country. And uh, the highest I got was Euro Cup. I was never fortunate enough or talented enough to play Euro league, but you play against Euro league teams when you're, you know, in your country and to play against the top, top teams where players are making, you know, million dollars plus, And that's, you know, where i players don't talk about this, but again, a name I'll throw out there, Sean Dennison. I don't know if he made that much, but he was playing for Euro league team in Russia at one point. So, and I know mm. they were uh, there's rumors of Russian players getting handed, well, not rumors. I had my Australian coach who played in the NBA with Dallas and Dirk. Uh, he was a center, Chris Anstey. Uh, talked about getting a shoe bag full of cash, a shoe box full of cash, a couple of times when he was playing in Euro, in Russia afterwards. He's like, and that was just a bonus. You, I played well. We won. Beat the team we needed to beat. Beat the mob and uh, the KGB team. And all of a sudden, there was a shoe box full of cash under it. And I said, What? And he goes, Yeah, just stacks of ten thousand dollar bills with the bank rolled around in the US dollars. So, wow.
0: Hopefully it was like a size fifteen shoebox, too, not like a size five.
1: Well I assumed no, it was man. his shoe size, which I think is twenty two. That's how I pictured the story, not yeah, not a kid yeah, toddler yeah. size with one stack.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your best story from playing overseas before? I want to talk to you about just like um, the adoration i'm assuming and you know i look at you know obviously it's not japan it's hong kong but you know guys like tommy nixon and chris mclaughlin and nate you have hung over there and just like the passion for basketball you know overseas that way and just like that must have been a super fun experience for you wearing the batman mask and all that but before we get into that is there like a crazy euro story like a something that happened in a wild game or any, anything that I'll 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 mention two that just come
1: to mind, just off the top crazy first year at Hungary. Uh, We were playing, playing an away game. They were selling out their stadiums, but they're little four or 5,000 person arena stadiums. We had to stop the game because they threw a smoke grenade at the start of one of the games. And we had to wait an hour till the smoke cleared because they were too excited and partying. Like they do at the football stadiums. People might see And then there was another one. We were winning at home, and the away team was there. And they chucked a flare at the our my teammate shooting the free throw that almost hit him. And it singed the four, and the four was singed for the rest of the year. And we had to again stop the game. They escorted those, whatever it was thousand team, uh, away fans away, and onto the bus and kicked them out so we could continue (laughs) the game in you know uneasy peace. So that was kind of the eye-opening. Oh, it's a little different here. Things are done a little different. Yeah. I think two years later or so when I was in Ukraine, or maybe around that year, when was the Malice in the Palace? It was right around that same time. I'm going, yeah, that makes sense. I've seen European fans.
0: (laughs) You didn't jump in the crowd ever, though, did you?
1: I I was never caught on film doing it, no.
0: (laughs) And then just talk about Japan. What was that like? What a cool experience.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll backtrack one more time. The, the EuroLeague team yeah, we played, uh, Germany, was the cool, one of the coolest experiences. I remember pulling up to that game. It was a away game. We were playing uh, uh, Alba Berlin. They had made an agreement with the football club. They wear the same jerseys as most of the EuroLeague teams do with Real Madrid. But they also made it a deal with the same Audi dealership was every basketball player gets an Audi. you don't want to give the basketball team and sponsor them with the Audi. Oh, we'll go to Porsche or Mercedes or another German company. So every player was driving an a seven at the time. And I went, wow, there is levels to this. Uh, and they had a brand new Audi Arena, seated 19,000 better than an NBA stadium. And it was unbelievable. And I just remember just being in awe. It was close game. I don't think we lost by more than 15 or so, but it was unbelievable seeing that. That was a, a EuroLeague experience where we're talking about, you know, Luka Doncic and the EuroLeague level was just extraordinary. Our bus pulling up and just seeing nothing but A7s and asking the guys. Uh, so, so those are all yours. and like, yeah, that was the deal. That's just what happened and they'd have signed with someone else. But Audi wanted to, you know, the Alba Berlin football contract. I was like, holy shoot. That's crazy. <sighs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then I I got to play in Japan or sorry, let's go Australia the next year, right before Australia got big with, you know, all these future one and done or two year Australian league players. uh, And then going back to the NBA, James Innes did it did it with the heat. Uh, Tori Craig did it. Obviously LaMelo balls now done it. So playing in that league was amazing as well. That was the toughest league. That felt like D one again, because the Australian players talent is unbelievable. Most of the players had, played D1. We talked about St. Mary's and their school and all the Australians that had played there and then moved back and played at home as, as players. There was players that had played League or NBA. David Anderson went and eventually played back at home in, in Australia. And my old coach, my coach, Chris Anstey played with the Mavericks and he was an NBA level coach at seven foot. Played one year there. So much fun. Summertime, forty degrees. You're playing once a week. Flying into the city, playing Saturday night, staying in the city, partying in Sydney, playing in that night, and then flying home Sunday. That was so much fun, and a kind of a mental refresher from some of the dreary Eastern Bloc European countries I'd been in. And then agent, same agent I'd had since the broken wrists and university mentioned Japan. And I was like, well, it's kind of going to end your career. Well, I'm year eight. I've been fortunate enough and found a home in Japan, won a championship. My first year we played Toyota in the finals. I met Mr. Toyota, who he is and shook his hand and drank beers with him the first year. Cause we won the championship and beat them. And it's all corporate teams there with Mitsubishi and Hitachi where Rob Sacre played. And, Yeah, it was, uh, by the end of my career, the top division, I think out of the 60 imports, I think 50 of them had had NBA credentials and there was me and Trasolini who did, uh, but I think he'd just played top league of Italy before. So yeah, I definitely didn't pave the way because Olu, I don't know, I'll butcher his last name, Futami, Futanini from uh, Ontario who had already played there as a Canadian as well. So Japan just found home. It was a country I'd Never wanted to visit. I, You know, Vancouver's so multicultural. We have amazing food here. But uh, Japan's culture blew me away, and I loved it. Still love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the, those guys that I mentioned to you, like the Hong the, some of the food that they're posting and stuff and the culture, I'm like, man. It's crazy. yeah. They're, that's, that's
1: they're so respectful though. After the games, they, you know, they sell out the arenas, they cheer, they're respectful they, you know, they'll get you to sign autographs, but you can see them an hour later in the streets and they barely acknowledge you because that's part of their culture is you don't interfere with someone's space. you know, and they were ahead of the game with the whole mask thing as well. And it's just the most respectful, cleanest country there in Japan. And I, I couldn't speak more highly of teammates, there, coaches, organizations or anything.
0: That's cool, man. That's awesome. What, a, what an awesome opportunity. Um, when did you know it was like, I mean, obviously, how long ago was that now? Is that a couple of years that you were here and we were chatting and then you decided to keep going or was it? That was two, it roughly year, was two,
1: it? almost two years ago to the day.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your chancellor tournament, you came by. That's yeah. Right.
1: So three years ago I was playing a full season. I believe two years ago it was, uh, Couple months here and a couple months there for my last year in Japan, but yeah, it was one of those yeah. kind of more mentally than anything. I was done and checked out. Uh, the body was still holding up. I'd been very, other than the broken wrist, uh, a little back hernia with a couple cortisone shots here and there. That other than that, yeah. I was very, I was injury free for twelve years, which was amazing. But mentally checked yeah. out. Wanted to be home. Always wanted to be in Vancouver and always where my heart was as well. So. Yeah, about three years ago now is when I two years ago when I officially hung them up.
0: And and you're good with it.
1: I am very good with it. It was hard at yeah. first, and that's where that first year was. It was tough, and didn't know what to do. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I kind of half joked, but did get the LinkedIn profile ready. Did get you know the <laughs> resume done. And you know, there's nothing on it. It's uh, team camaraderie. It's uh, leadership. It's uh, all those cat- catch words, catchphrases on it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Which we is... talked, like, you know, we've talked with many ballers at all different levels, and every one of them has mentioned or at least not maybe flat out, but kind of subliminally just said, you know, hey, it was tough to go through, right? Trying to figure out, okay, now what, right? Like, I mean, look at you. You got I mean, you've got these degrees and then you didn't even end up using them. And kudos to you for getting them done and using your your scholarship while you were there, right? You had the foresight to do that, but then you know, all right, I, I still have to, I have lots of life left, I have lots of career left, I got to do something that I'm going to enjoy. And, and I got to follow that, right? So it's an interesting way of in figuring out life at that age and trying to transition into what the next phase is going to look like. But it sounds like you're, you know, you're comfortable and you feel like you're you're doing the right things, which is good.
1: I am now. Uh, but yeah, that first year, a year ago, I, was, I want nothing to do with basketball. I don't want to coach. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be a part of the community, uh, which is the opposite. Complete 180 to today. Whereas, you know, you guys are doing this, a hoops journey. And I'm going, man, how do I promote this? How do I, how do I, you know, have more people see it? You know, I want my people, I uh, want it on my Instagram, Scomo Jones on Instagram. I'll promote a hoops journey to Instagram. Let's get it going. I want to be back in the community. And, you know, I want kids to hear my story for what it is, but to them to reach out as well and, you know, ask questions and, you know, go more in depth. And you guys are doing and have this platform for basketball community across Canada right now uh, with some of the talent you guys have had on here is amazing and humbling that you guys wanted me on there. So it's, it's amazing. And, you know, thank you for having me. Anyone want to reach out, please reach out, reach out to you guys, reach out to me, uh, anything in between.
0: That's good, man. I'd like I like to hear that. It's uh, um, there's no pressure on people to, to give back to the game, or you know, if people that played basketball or a certain sport and they decide not to coach, it's it's nothing. But I think it is important for you know the people that came before us, like the Shoes that paved the way for you a little bit, and we're big mentors. Maybe down the road in a few years, there's a there's a young kid that'll have an opportunity to be mentored by you if you choose to do so. So I think it's you know, it's good that you're reflecting on that and starting to enjoy the game of basketball for from a different lens, right? Like the coaching lens is so different and the connections with the kids and the youth is such a different vibe when maybe at times for you towards the end, it was more of a business, you know, like how can I max the most out of my body and financially so that I'm okay once I do retire, as opposed to being like in a dungy little gym on a Saturday, doing some hoops for, you know, Academy or whatever, which is totally different.
1: Yeah. Whether the kids now in grade seven and wants to ask question or it's, you know, guys like Connor Morgan or Pat Simon just signed and and went over is going overseas. So congrats to him. It's UBC guys. You know, they want to ask about the journey and what's European basketball. Like, you know, we've been talking for an hour, hour and a half now. And it's, if guys want to go more into depth, hit one of us up, ask questions. We're here for you. I'm here for you. So I just love that you guys put us on a platform to be able to do that
0: course man I mean we always say selfishly we just enjoy it just as much too we get just as stoked about the podcast but you're right it is that way And it, and I think too it's like uh the, at a younger age like it's good it's good to be confident and it's good to be you know believe in yourself but you also have to have a growth mindset and and understand that it's okay to ask questions and be a little bit vulnerable and be like hey Okay, so I'm, you know, Scott, I'm looking at your resume and, you know, I'm 6'9 or 6'10 and I'm a big man and I kind of want to move on D1. Can you tell me a little bit? Like, because how else are you going to know, right? Like, why wait till you're in your senior year and Idaho State and Portland State or whatever are your only two options, right? Like, maybe if you can help someone down the way, but they have to reach out and, and, you know, have that nervous conversation with you and be like, okay, can you help me a little bit? Which I think sometimes people aren't willing to do, but hopefully listening to the, you know, these different people talk, it makes them feel comfortable and be like, all right, it's okay to actually ask questions and and figure it out and not know it all at 15, 14, whatever it is.
1: Totally. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. Thank you for having me on and thank you guys for having this platform. It's amazing. You guys are doing, doing great stuff and uh, yeah, just humbled and honored. Thank you guys
0: appreciate it you think you're leaving though or oh like,
1: uh, is this where we crack beers now another segue, you sound like another you're segue? Like, this
0: guy like he sounds like he's like wants the, the outro music to happen here man come on we got some vital questions to ask before you go here brother
1: Fire away i've heard your podcast i, I know what's coming but i haven't actually thought about it
0: perfect even better even better You said you're, you know, you're taking some time off. You're just getting the body right for a few weeks after the holiday season, which happens a lot. But the next time you do sit down and put your feet up and watch an NBA game with a cold one, what bag of chips are you having with it? All dressed. Ruffles or ruffles. any kind? No, any... ruffles,
1: ruffles, ruffles. Not any kind. This is – no, no, no. Come
0: on. He's yeah. <laughs> protective of his all dressed. I respect it. I respect it. Yep. Yeah. If you'd asked me 10 years ago,
1: it would have been catch-up because it would have been nostalgic from home, but then you have it once or twice Mm -hmm. again, and you're like, okay, let's go back to the real stuff.
0: Yes, well said, well said. Who's the greatest player you've ever played against? Ooh. uh, You've named a lot.
1: Very first one that came to mind uh, because he just put me in my place and absolutely sunned me. It's kind of like when players go, like, what's your first uh, NBA wow moment? Mine was uh, a freshman, and Theo Ratliff, absolutely Punched my hook shot. Really? It was there. There was nothing I could do. I was 19, and he was. I, he was towards the end of his career, but gosh, he had every move and everything. And I was like, I'll beat him down the floor. No, I didn't. Oh, uh, I'll make this move here. No, we couldn't.
0: <laughs> Theo was no joke. No joke. That's just the first um, name
1: that come to mind. I don't know if that's true, but I'm sticking with that.
0: Perfect. Um, you've already, you've mentioned who you, who you bandwagon with. So who's the greatest player of all time in your eyes?
1: Well, why is it my eyes? The answer is LeBron James.
0: <laughs> well, cause you're the one answering the question.
1: That should be everyone's answer.
0: <laughs> you're entitled to your own opinion. That is true. Do you want to give it some, some reasoning why, or are you just saying leaving it with LeBron and you're good?
1: I mean, I really want to drop the mic on it, but, I mean, he'll end up with the best <laughs> statistical career. He was someone I remember illegally downloading his games on Napster in uh, 2003 and watching <laughs> kill yes. play. <laughs> I uh, won a hundred dollar bet the next year. My dad got anyone in the world and I got LeBron James the number one draft pick Won a hundred bucks uh, in 2000. What was that? Three or four. So uh, I've been on the bandwagon since day one. Uh, I'm very much uh what's Shaq's freestyle. Uh, yo, Kobe, tell me how my butt tastes. So I was yeah. definitely team Shaq when the Lakers broke up. So he is not my <laughs> answer. Uh, MJ snubbed me when I was watching the Grizzlies. He only only played two quarters when they were here because he blew them out. So uh, LeBron James is my answer. Easy answer (laughs) should be everyone's answer. We'll go down statistically as the greatest player of all time. So that's the answer.
0: Amazing. Um, (laughs) Who's been the most important person or people in your life?
1: Uh, First names that come to mind is my parents. It's easy, soft answer. Uh, Glenn Chu, uh, Mike Frisbee in high school were definitely people I leaned on. And then uh, towards the end of my career, uh, I'll give Doug Plum a shout out. When he was playing pro and I was playing pro, we connected and got each, each other through some uh, very boring times. I won't say dark, but very boring times overseas.
0: <laughs> that's a whole different podcast. So we'll uh, we'll leave that for another time. Yeah, that's a drinking
1: <laughs> journey, not uh, not a hoops journey.
0: yeah yeah now you mentioned ketchup chips that you kind of grew out of what about ketchup on macaroni
1: that's an absolute I I, as a kid you're putting that on I would didn't get as freaky and put hot dogs on it but you're putting ketchup on it as an adult for me it's now sriracha so uh, I'm not going to shun an adult who puts ketchup on it did it as a kid to me that was a staple I know it's controversial like pineapple on pizza which I say yes to as well um, but it's for me. It's sriracha now. If I'm making KD.
0: So sriracha is the big boy version of ketchup for you. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm also down with pineapple on pizza. So yeah. not ke- not ketchup on macaroni, but we won't judge you for that. Anyways, um, all right. Plum goes for like one of his like 48 kilometer runs, and you just go for a casual 10. What kind of tunes are you bumping?
1: Uh, probably Miguel playlist or J Cole playlist, and I'll go back and forth.
0: Miguel, wow! Yeah, well done, well done. What J Cole? Which what's your
1: favorite album? Or like what? Uh, probably, fr- he put- probably Friday Night Lights.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: but uh, you know, I, I kind of cheat and just go essential playlist now. Is uh, you know, use the technology in my favor, and then Miguel, uh, he's got too many, too many to. Too many hits. Uh you can't remember the album name with uh what is it, Skywalker Banana Clip came out four years ago. That's just the first four songs for me on that one is repeat as I'm running uh what a four hour ten K. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come through and chill is a fire tune.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And J. Cole needs to put another album out. Um Dope Man last question before you go and we appreciate this i know we've been trying to we've been going back and forth and it's too bad we didn't you know one of the things we're missing is how many people we done in person three kev kev Gurley, and doug yeah right and so we'll be excited when the when the podcast can be face to face because um it just be you know even that much better but if you could do it all again you would what
1: uh share more beers with friends
0: well said I think too, like, I'll just speak for myself. Um, like COVID has really taught me not just necessarily the to go for beer, but has taught me to like, you know, sometimes I'm like, ah, I should just go home. I'm tired, or nah, I'm not gonna go meet that, you know what I mean? And I'm like, wow, I'm a total extrovert. You seem very similar and it's made me realize that like i miss like daps and like hugs and laughs with good people so
1: you miss the family miss the friends you miss the hugs you miss the time spent over meals whether you call it a beer or not uh but yeah that's that's the answer
0: yeah man good thanks so much buddy That was an awesome episode um like you said anybody out there listening questions or want to connect with the big man just reach out uh open book on his end and uh You know a great story you're you're a little bit humble at the start in terms of like people don't know you but you know they know and if they don't now they know that they know you know
1: (laughs) put some respect on my name yes episode 40
0: Yes. you are the man thank you so much shout out to parkside you will see the big man there soon and uh good lad clothing we'll see you on the next episode